0: Today, we are going to start a series that I'm just excited about. In fact, right now, let us pray, Father, help us, God, today. Lord, you have something to say to us. God, you want us to uh, grow in our knowledge of you. And God, your word is alive. So God, I ask you to to bless this time, anoint it, and God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I started thinking about that mountain experience. I got choked up. Could you give me my water, please, baby? Uh, The full one. Yeah. It actually has water in it. Thank you. John chapter 8 is uh, going to be our theme verse. As we start a series, what I call Free Indeed. You know, one of the things I've, I've learned and seen over the years of, of just living in life and following Christ is that so often we, we make, as Christians, as believers, we make our salvation kind of the end goal instead of just the beginning. Because God has so much more for us than just a, a forgiveness of sin, although that alone, we would all agree, is, is enough. If that's all he had for us, we'd say, thank you, Lord. But he has more for us than even heaven to look forward to. He has something that he's called into our lives, called abundant life. <clears throat> I should have told that story, while ago. I'm reliving it here. Um, abundant life. It's a, it's a life that helps us to break free. <laughs> Or be able to talk, right? Uh, You would think I'm really emotional right now, I'm not. We may have to have the band back up here. Shall we start again? This abundant life is something that to me is so critical because as, as I walk with believers and I see our lives, sometimes I feel like we've just missed the power and the beauty of God that he has so much more that he can do in us and through us if we would just open our lives up to him. And one of those areas is the area of freedom, there is a a breaking free from things that hold us back, things that are habits of our past or mindsets or words that have been spoken over us or or even experiences that we may have walked through in life that keep us from ever really believing that God is the God of the possible, that, that anything is possible to those that believe. And so what I want to do over these next four weeks is I really want us to get get into some foundational Scripture, get into some foundational teaching of what it looks like for God to break us out, for God to give us the freedom that He wants in our lives. You know, this weekend is is important to us. We'd all agree, right? We celebrate the, the freedom that our nation has. But, you know, this weekend to me has always been something much more than that, because it marks in our, in our calendar year, the midway, the midway point. It's, it's the halfway point of our year. And to me, there's something special about that. I mean, let me ask you this. How many of you guys back in January made New Year's resolutions? Let me see your hands. Everybody, just anybody? I know I've taught y'all better, but you, some have, okay. If, if you're like me, they lasted about a day. You know, I remember thinking, you know what, I need to drop about 15 pounds. I think I've added like five. You know, it, it lasted about a week because my wife cooks very well. Even though I, I work out, I, I work out to keep up with that, basically, you know? But the, we, we make these resolutions. It's important that somewhere in the middle of the year, not to make some silly New Year's resolution, but to say, God, there are things in my life I would like to see changed. God, there's things in my family that I'd like to see put on a different course or a different path, God. God, there's things about me, God, that you have gifted me with or you've put in me, God, that I know I'm not fully functioning in, God, but, Lord, I want them to come about because, God, that's how you created me. So to me, this is a very special time where we lean into the Word of God and say, God, help us see ourselves as we are, God, and help us understand, God, that you have the power to change us because here's the reality, guys. We don't have the power to change ourselves. We, we all have to admit that something is missing in that equation if all we're relying on is our ability to willpower ourselves somehow to have significant change in our lives. So we're going to be talking about that missing ingredient as we go forward in this series. So pick it up in John chapter 8, our, our theme verse that's going to kind of center this whole, this whole experience. It begins with, with this. He says, to the Jews who had believed him. Now, now just stop right there. Recognize Jesus speaking to believers, Okay. To the Jews who had believed in him, and, and it's important you understand that because as believers in Jesus Christ, we sometimes think that uh, somehow nothing touches us, you know? And, and he's speaking to them about freedom, and he's speaking to them about something that we all experience, because I'm convinced that every one of us have experienced some forms of bondage or, or brokenness in our lives that only God can heal. But he says to them, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. If you if say, but you really get a hold of the truth of my teaching, then you're really following me. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? You don't have to go to church to know that one, right? Because <laughs> it's just a, a common thing in our culture. You know the truth, the truth will set you free. But they answered him, and this is so critical, they said... Well, we are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves to anyone. What they were saying is, hey, Jesus, wait a minute. What are you talking about getting set free? Because after all, we're not a slave to anybody. We're free. Can I tell you the very first step to breaking free of points of bondage in our life is to admit that we have them? It is to admit that every one of us have places of struggle that sometimes we don't want to confess to others or anybody else, but we know deep in our heart there's something there that holds us back, and we need to admit that in order for God to come and begin to set us free. And we're going to study what the Bible says about that. Because the word is very clear to us that we need to let go of some things and let God fully function in our lives. He says, how can you say that we should be set free? And Jesus replied to them, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins, all of us, is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. What he's saying is, look, we are, we are saved. We put our faith in Christ But sometimes we're not receiving the full benefits of that relationship because of bondages that have been hooked to our lives by the enemy of our souls or by choices we've made and that we need to get broken free from. He says, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be, come on, speak it out here. You will be what? I like that, don't you? I like that phrase. I like that combo, free indeed. There, there's, there's a certainty to that, and that's what the Lord has promised to us. And that's what we're going to head over the next month. We're going to talk about this. And really what my dream for us is this. It's that over this next half of the year, going, going forward here, that we would see some amazing changes in our lives and in those around us, and things we've been praying about because of our opening ourselves up to God's power functioning in our lives. Now, next week, we're going to talk about that one area. I went real specific next week, but today what I want to do is set a foundation. I want to set a base of understanding so that we're all kind of walking on the same page here to experience the grace of God in this area of our lives. And to do that, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. So just kind of turn over your Bible to the right there a little bit. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 is where we're going to spend time. 1 Corinthians is a very interesting book. It was a book written by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of believers uh, who really loved Jesus, but who were really messed up. He was writing to a group of believers that they loved Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but yet there were things that they were bringing with them from their old life that was keeping them from functioning and fulfilling the calling of God to be his witnesses into this world. And he said in, that, in this teaching, in this corrective letter, he identified really three types of people. And all of us fit into one of these types of categories. And he says that the first type is what he called the unspiritual person. Pick it up in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Now, now when I read that, it reminds me that people that are critical of Christianity, people that has kind of put everything down that maybe we believe or think that, you know, it's just not real or whatever, the truth is they just never have experienced it. Because you have to experience God. That's why in our, in our statements of, of, of faith and belief and even our, our vision of, of Hope Church, the very first thing he said is we want people to encounter God. Because you have to know that he is the living God that created you, who loved you enough to give his only son on the cross to die for you, that you may have eternal life and now abundant life that he wants us to live out. So, if we, so Paul is saying, look, there are people that are unspiritual because their spirit has never come alive. By coming to know the Savior of our souls. By coming to know the one who gave himself for us. He says, he says basically this, look, out of our triune being, understand, we are made in the image of God. We have body, we have soul. I think mean, body we understand very well, right? We have soul. Soul is our, our emotions, our, our will. It's how we kind of a, approach much in life, our mental capacity. But we also are spirit, And what Paul is saying is, unless your spirit comes alive, you will never know what it is to walk in the founding founding blessings of our God. You see, we we recognize that from the very first time we sinned, the Word of God says our spirit man died. That's why when Jesus was talking about the experience of salvation, he used a term that people kind of made fun of. He said, you must be born again. And people were like, what, we got to, like to crawl back in our mom's womb and like come out? And he's like, no, no, you've got to be born again spiritually. That's why I, I shared it a couple months ago, and, and you'll know, laugh, but the, to- the sermon topic was going to church will not change you. Because it's not about religion, it's about that relationship we have, then we come to know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And unless our spiritual man comes alive, what happens is this, our lives are driven Only by our emotions, our soul, our bodies. We only go after those things that we are inclined to go after, our desires, our wants. And because of that, we're driven by our passions instead of being led by the Spirit. So he says the first type of person you have to recognize is that which is called unspiritual. Now, he says the second is just the opposite of that, and that is the spiritual person, the one who now has come alive, they've been born again. And in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 15 says, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Now what he's saying is, now we see clearly how things are. Now we see clearly how things work. Why? Because now we've woke up the right part of us. We've woke up the spirit man. We're not just looking at things through our emotions. We're not just looking at things through our cravings of the body. But now we're, we're looking at life through the eyes of the spirit. And now we're beginning to see change. Because can I tell you, unless you change spiritually, you really can't change. That's why resolutions don't work. Because what resolutions do is we're trying to discipline the very parts of our being that are basically almost impossible to discipline, body and soul. But our spirit comes alive and has the power to make change. He says, But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Think about that. We have the mind of Christ. We are growing in our knowledge of Him, but He is working in us and through us by His Holy Spirit. That's why I want us to make the number one goal of the rest of this year. Not to occupy a building, but the number one goal is that we would all grow spiritually in the Lord and move to a place of understanding and power and strength that now our light shines in darkness and it makes the difference of seeing others come to know Christ. You see, my, my goal is this. If, if you're already a believer, man... And break free. Connect to the power of God and connect to the church as vehicle which will help you grow and experience the freedom God wants you to have in your life. If you're not a believer, then then here's what I would say. Commit your life to Christ because he's made a promise to you that is unbelievable. It's almost too good to be true. If you think about it, when he says, when I forgive you of your sin, because all have sinned and fallen short of his glory, he says, "When I forgive you for your sin, he goes, I take that sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west." Now, I don't know if they make these anymore, but does anybody remember etch a sketches? Do you remember etch a sketches? Oh, about etch a sketches, this—you draw whatever you want to, and I was definitely not an artist, so my stuff looks like junk. You know, it's just all over the place. But at the end of the day, if I didn't like it, what could I do? Shake it, and guess what? It all got wiped out. I start all over again. When Jesus saves us, that's what he does. He just shakes it. And he says, look, I don't remember what you're talking about. (laughs) I don't don't remember what you did. My blood covered all that. I've created this clean slate, and now we build a life that honors God in that. So he says there's this unspiritual, there's the spiritual, but then there's this third person. This is where, unfortunately, most people live. And that's what he calls the worldly person, or, or you may see the word in some translations carnal in that. First Corinthians 3, it's continuing the same thought, it's the second next chapter, beginning in verse 1 through 3. He says, brothers and sisters, remember he's speaking to Christians, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. He says, look, I, I, your spirit man is alive, but you're really not letting him reign, Okay. Your spirit man's alive, you've put your faith in Christ, but you've kind of pushed him down below the body desires and the emotional desires. He says, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. He says, I, I, because of that, I gave you milk and not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. So what he's saying is, look, you've made this profession of faith. You've come to that point, maybe you've been baptized, communion, all that, but you're not yet trusting God for every aspect of your life. And you're letting the world's influence be the lead more than the guidance of the Spirit and the Word of God. He says, because of that, you're mere infants in Christ. But now, can I tell you, the hope in this is you can regain the right position for your spirit man. You can lift him back up, and that's what we're talking about in this series. So he gives this illustration of what was going on in their lives, he says, look, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Now, why, why is that? Why is it we get caught in that? Why is it we struggle sometimes to, to be influenced by the Word and by Spirit more than we are by the things of the world? Because the, the, the Bible says because there's a battle going on in us. There's a literal war taking place in every one of us. And it really comes down to who we're letting win or lead in that war. In the book of Galatians, you only turn that'll be on the screen. Galatians 5, Paul, the same author of Corinthians, he says this. He goes, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. He says, Look. You may have the desire to go after God, to please, you may have the desire to break free from a habit or an addiction or, or things that are holding you back. He said, but there's this battle going on that's got to be won. And that war is going on, and basically the war is over who is in charge. Is it my body? Is it my, my passions and desires? Is that, am I just going to live that way? If I feel like it, I'm just going for it? If it seems right in everybody else's eyes, I'm just handling, I'm just after it? Or am I going to let my soul, is my soul going to be in charge? Because after all, I mean, my emotions, you know, and, and my, my will and all that, but how many know you really can't trust your emotions because they kind of like do this, right, uh, all through our lives? Or am I going to let the Spirit lead? And the question of who wins this war is simply this. Well, who's stronger? Who, who's stronger? Spirit, soul, or body? And the only way to answer that in your own life is to say the one that is stronger is the one that you feed. It's the one that you pour into that is stronger. It's the one that you build up. So we spend all our time building up the body or are we spending time building up the spirit? Are we spending our whole time just trying to get our emotions in check? Are we spending our time trying to build up the spirit man in our lives? Because whichever one is fed the most, whichever one is stronger is going to lead in our lives. Now can you imagine what your life would look like if the spirit man was absolutely in control? Can you imagine what life would look like if we really walked in that way This is God, you are first in everything? I have to believe that if we did that, we'd experience real victory and real freedom when that happens. And my my desire and my call for you is this is to join in this journey, that we would walk toward that and see that in our own lives. One of the reasons I get so excited about a building is I get more than this with you, okay? Because there's something I just can't wait. I want to, uh, let's really dive deep into this and see how we come back to God's original design in our lives to walk in the freedom that he purchased for us on the cross, But for now, we're going to build this foundation. And to do that today, what I want to focus on the rest of this time is really an understanding of of both the problem and the solution that Jesus gave us for this. To do that, go back to Matthew, okay, just back to the left a little bit, Matthew 17. Because Jesus was dealing with something with his disciples that kind of lays out for us, I think, a very clear picture of the problem, the solution and the results of what happens when we go after the freedom God has for us. So in Matthew 17, beginning in verse 14, some of you will be very familiar with this story. Uh, but he was, he was in a situation where the disciples basically came to the end of what their strength was, okay? He says, he says this, when he, when he came to the crowd, when they came, the disciples came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. For he has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Now, now mark this. If if you read the rest of Matthew's gospel or Mark or Luke and John, this is unusual. Up to this point, the disciples, they've been very effective. They'd gone out, they'd cast out demons, they'd they'd prayed for people that had gotten healed, they'd seen miracles take place in their lives. So really, this moment is very unusual because they'd experienced God's working through them. But he he puts his finger on something that was happening here. Notice what he said. He said, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, (laughs) how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. So picture the disciples, they're, they're there with this crowd and they're there with this father. And as any father would be, he, he is just grieving because you want nothing but the best for your kids, right? And he come to the disciples and, and unfortunately, they realized that there were some things they couldn't do. And he made a statement that sounded very strong, almost found it, sounded condemning or invicting, but in that, he kind of identified the problem that so often is found in our lives when we are come to that place where we realize we don't have the strength to change. And he said it this way. He said, oh, unbelieving generation. And I really think what he was saying there was this. Oh, you that are not connected to God. You that are not connected to the very source of life. You that are not connected to the very power that is greater than your own that is there to change you. You see, it, it paints that picture of the disciples and he's saying, look, guys, Your faith was was too low. He goes, look, we got to build ourselves up in the word. We got to spend time with God. That's why if the only word you get in your life is right here, can I tell you, you are an emaciated follower of Christ. You're literally starving yourself to death. Because we need more than a Sunday morning. We need the Word of God being continually brought into our lives. And we are so blessed in this generation. Because you can have the Word of God with you every moment of the day. Because it's called your phone that's in your pocket. And if you take it out, you have not only the Word, but you have great devotionals right there available to you through YouVersion. So we have no excuse. He says you need to connect to God. But he goes on and he says, and he calls them a perverse generation. Now, none of us want to be called perverse, right? But man, he was drilling into something right there. He says, You're unbelieving because you're not connected enough to God. He says, but you're, but you're perverse because you're too connected to the world. The world is leading, not God. The world's winning the battle, not God. And that combination is awful. You may have some victory in your life by your own willpower, but not much. And it was a huge issue, and it's still a huge issue today. But then he dives right to the solution, and this is where it gets good. So the disciples, you can imagine, and they're <laughs> Chagrin mood, they come back to him and in verse 19 they, they came to him in private because they were gonna talk out in public and they said, Well, hey Jesus, why why couldn't we drive it out? And isn't that the question we always ask? Why is it I'm stuck with this? Why is it I can't seem to get past this habit? We're, we're like Paul. Why is it the things I want to do I find myself not doing, and the things that I don't want to do I find myself doing? So they came back there like Lord, why? What, what's going on here? And he replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. For you. Can we just put a put a mark right there if you're taking notes? I want to encourage you this. What it is to, to feel like, well, it's just my, my lot in life, it's just the way it is. We we can make all kinds of excuses for bondage. Well, you know, it's just genetics. You know, my grandpa was the same way, or you know, we're Irish, you know, we <laughs> we just go we're just that way. And, and no, no. He says, nothing will be impossible for you. That tells me I don't have to go to the grave still all bound up. I can live in this world with a freedom in the spirit that God has promised me because he perched on the cross at Calvary. It means I don't have to make excuses and live way below God's God's view of me and his design for me because after all, somehow I'm genetically challenged in this. Can I tell you something? The same God who's by the blood of his son uh, forgave us and cleansed of our sin is the same God that says he has the power to change us from the inside out. We've got to believe that, church. We've got to stand on that promise. We've got to believe that God can do all things in those that believe. But he made a statement, and some, some Bibles, they make a little note on the end of it, and they're like, well, we're not sure to include this in this or not. But, but, it, but basically what he said is, but this kind, referring to this demon that was, it was hurting this child, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, now, it's interesting to me because those two things are the counter to the problems that he already identified. What were the problems? That first of all, you're not connected to God. Well, how do you connect to God? Through prayer, right? We, we Two out of the last three sermons here at Hope have been on prayer. We've been trying to, to build us up to say, look, guys, we've we got to learn to say. we got to learn to speak it out. we got to learn to believe and bring it to our God and not just complain about the world, but actually go after God and his promises and say, God, use us to be the generation that sees revival in our land. So he says we need to pray because the solution is prayer. It connects us to God. But then he also says a second part that none of us like, and that is the word Fasting. Because fasting disconnects us from the world. It disconnects us from the hold of the body. It disconnects us from the hold of the the soul, the emotions. But people, we we don't always understand fasting. When I talk about fasting, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I I guess the Lord wants wants us to suffer to show him we love him. I don't know about you, but I think fasting is kind of suffering. I'll just be honest with you. I like my food, okay? But that's not the point. Nowhere does God say suffering proves our love for him. The Bible says suffering may be a part of life that we all work walk in because we're in this sin-cursed world. But in the midst of the suffering, we have peace and we have joy because God is with us. But fasting is not a moment to show somehow to God that we will suffer him. But it's a moment for us to say, God, we've got to disconnect. And Lord, if this is the only way we can disconnect God, then Lord, we're going to step into it, Father. And we're going to let you do things in our lives that we ourselves can't do. And if you look at those things, you say, okay, if we pray, we connect to God. If we fast, we disconnect from the world. Can you imagine what happened if we did those things together for a season? I mean, you can't do it all the time, right? You know, you can't fast all the time. You will die. You can't go without food all the time. But yet, if we could put those things together for a season, what would happen in our lives? And I'm going to lead us in, in the month of August, toward the end of August. We're going to go into a time of praying and fasting together. There's Some very specific things God's laid on our hearts for, for our future, but also for our, our present, breaking free. You see, when you pray and fast, your spirit man comes alive. There, there's something about it. Worldly influences lose their hold and their power. And now those areas of bondage can be broken over us. But yet we look at it and we say, but oh, it's kind of like going to the gym. That takes effort. That takes work. What well, can I tell you? No one has ever gotten in shape by thinking about it. It just doesn't happen. You can read all the magazines and muscle building and bodybuilding and getting in shape and cycling. And all. I've been amazed this weekend how many people I've seen on bicycles this weekend. Why? Because the Tour de France is happening. Like, okay, I'm going to be a bicyclist now. Yeah, for about a day until you find out you sweat and it hurts, Okay. But in the same way, spiritually, if we're going to grow, he says, it comes through praying and fasting. Check, check this promise out. You don't turn it. It'll be on the screen. Romans 8, 12. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. He says, you don't have to be driven by your flesh. You don't have to live to please your flesh. Can I tell you that Satan, the enemy of our souls, wants to do everything in his power he is a liar, the Bible says. And he doesn't want to get caught in the midst of anything. Why? Because if he, if he gets caught, a thief has to pay back everything he's stolen. Listen, we've got to declare the truth. And the truth is we have no obligation to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to de- death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Here's that benefit. We are in the family. We gain everything the Father has for us. So we're going to take some time. We're going to spend some time together in August. We're going to get ready for a season of ministry that I think God has before us. It's going to be amazing. But I tell you, it begins with us breaking free. Amen? So let's, let's just wrap this up this morning. Let's, let's just wrap this up real quick. It's some mean, something very practical, process, and, and, and some, uh, some results. So here's what I want you to think about, all right? So, if we believe that God wants freedom in our lives, if we believe that God wants us to walk through a time of praying, fasting, seeking Him, both individually and together, then we've got to make some decisions, we've got to make some choices right now of how we go about, how do we break free. So, so I want to just kind of give you a picture of what a process may look like. Because like with any process, there's some things you have to decide if you're going to be successful in it. And the first is simply this, you've got to set your objectives, You've got to set your objectives. What is it that God is showing in your life that He wants to bring His power and His glory into? In James, James chapter 4, he says, You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Back to that soulful, physical, body uh, motivation. So we've got to learn to know what to ask for. So, my challenge is this we need to think through that. Well, what are our objectives? What is it that we really, really want and desire and need for God to do in our lives? I wrote down a few that affect my life. And I'm just going to share them, just put them out there. They may be yours or maybe not. You may not write them down. But but first of all, for me, the objective for me is to declare my dependence upon God. Because i got a mic problem. I really do. Hi, I'm Mike. And I've got a mic problem. That is Mike thinks that Mike can do all things. But I can't. And I've got a declare my dependence on God in every aspect of my life. And I do that by giving God the first of everything. I do that by making him the top priority and not an afterthought. That's why we give him the first day of our week. And we say, God, today we're coming to the house of God. and We're going to worship you together. We're going to let your word get in us. We're going to serve. We're going to love each other, God. And you're going to change us from the inside out. I'm going to give him the very first of my day. Whether it's a two-minute prayer, whether it's a long, it's not a matter of the length. It's when I wake up and my feet hit the ground, it's not, oh my, how my back hurts. It's, God, thank you for another day to serve you in, God. And thank you that today, God, your mercies are new in my life. I'm going to give him the very first part of my day. I'm going to give him the very first part of my giving. That's why, why to me, tithing is not so much a, a number as it is a priority. It's not just a percentage, it's a priority, can I, can I tell you, literally, while Denise and I were not here, we were tithing at Hope Church. Because when we get paid, the very first check comes out of my bank, a check written to Hope Church. Why? Because I want God to know you are first in every aspect of my life. You see, when we put him first, he says he'll bring all the blessings, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteous, then all these things I will add unto you. So I want to declare my dependence on God. I want to ask God for forgiveness. A man that says he doesn't sin is a liar. Do we all agree with that? It's found in 1 John. And we need to come to God truthfully and say, God, forgive me, Lord. And God, as we pray, God, forgive us, then let's take the Old Testament promises and say, God, then heal my land. God, as you will, do that. Because if all we do is gripe about our land and complain about our land and complain about our nation and wring our hands, then we are not even living up to the calling God said we are to pray. We're to pray, say, God, you heal our land. I want to refocus on the spiritual. <laughs> That's why I like this point of the year, because I need to take a breath. That's why we have vacation this time of the year. That's why we all take breaks. and go. We need to take a breath and step back and say, all right, God, maybe I've gotten too far off on the other aspects of life, and got to not focus as much on the spiritual. God, God, refocus me, because when I do that, I begin to invite the presence of God into my life. I don't know about you, but I need as a father, as a husband, as a, a member of my community that the presence of God is with me always. And then I, I, I declare my dependence on God by coming back and say, God, there's some specific prayers, God, I want you to answer. God, there's some specific needs, God, I've been praying about that, God, we want to see answered. And I know you have those as well. And I want you to begin even now and start thinking about those things. Begin to write them out. Begin to put them before God. God, these are specific prayers, God, that, Father, only you can meet. But it all comes when I declare my dependence on you, God. The second part of the process is we got to decide what you're going to do. How, just, I'm not going to ask for raising hands. When you fast, you got to decide what you're going to do. Because can I tell you, there are so many books and teachings on fasting, they will just absolutely mess you up. You need to decide. Maybe God's calling you to fast, fast. You know what fast, fast means? You'll be hungry. Because you're going to deny this body food. You're going to live on water. And you're going to spend that time praying. Some of you are like, Man, that's intense. Yeah, it is. Maybe, maybe you're into the Daniel fast. We, we write books about Daniel fast. We make, you know, people make all kind of money. Basically, all Daniel fast was, was Daniel in the Old Testament said, you know what, there's some things I'm not going to eat at the, king's, at the king's table, and I'm going to trust God to sustain me even less. And so he gave up meats and sweets and all the good stuff of life. But anyway, you can read about Daniel fast, or... Or, or maybe you want to do a partial fast. A lot of folks do what's considered a Jewish fast, and that is they, they, they don't eat while the sun is up. So, so pretty much all during the day. This is why it's the worst time of the year to do that, right? Because the sun's up longer. But you, you eat while it's still dark, and you don't eat again until it's dark again. But you, you know what? Honestly, for some of us, let me just get real. Some of y'all be better to keep eating and just give up the news and social media for a couple of weeks. And I think the spirit man just might come alive again. And you might stop being cynical, and you might actually start witnessing for Jesus Christ. Can I tell you? That might be the way we go. Mark it, all right? But you gotta decide what you're gonna do. But then the best part, and this is where we're gonna wrap it today, you gotta expect results. You gotta believe that God is gonna come through, amen? There's a chapter that I'd love for you to all read, not at this moment, I'll read you just a section out of it. It's found in the book of Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, that was just about fasting. It was just, just clarifying some things about fasting. But in the, in the early part of that book, in verses 8 and 9, he made some promises. This was God speaking through the prophet. He made some promises of what happens when we fast. And, and basically in verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 58, he says, When you fast, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Three things real quick and then we're going to pray and we're going to celebrate communion together. He said, if you approach me, if you come in this fast to grow near, if you come in this fast to cleanse your, your life and let the spirit man rise up. So you read the rest of the chapter. If you come in this fast and you're not doing it just because it's a religious thing or the pastor said it's a cool thing to do, but, but you're doing it along with justice and mercy, loving people the way God has called us to love them. If you're doing it by reaching out to the hurting and the broken and the ones that are far from God, he says in three things you should expect to happen. He said there should be healing. Healing. See, I still believe God supernaturally heals. I, I pray that through this time, we're going to see bodies healed. But not just bodies. Can I tell you, there are some times that people need something deeper than just a physical healing. They need an emotional healing. I call it soul healing. They need, they need some things reworked. The, the wiring has got, gotten messed up by sin or by experiences. And I, I believe God can heal our emotions. But I also believe God can heal our relationships. And I believe in that time, God, that, that you would pour out your spirit in such a way that we would see those type of things happening, that there would be maybe, maybe families mended back together again, right? Maybe marriage is strengthened. Maybe old relationships brought new again. But he says healing will, queer, will, will quickly appear. The second promise I believe I see in this and the expected result is that of holiness. Because he says you're, we will go to a, a different level with our walk with God and we begin to shut out the carnality, the, the world's influences and we, we begin to let God and his rights be manifest in us. He says literally in doing that, he says God will become your guard. David said it this way, he said Lord let my, let my integrity protect me. God let my walk after you become my calling card. You see when you walk that way, you don't worry whether the world accuses you of anything or blasphemes or, or slanders your name because all you can say is I, I'm living for God. And I'm not, I'm not bound by the things of the world. I'm living as his ambassador. And then finally he says then you will call on the Lord. You will cry for help. and He will say, here am I. Do you know we don't have to wait for that? Because he's here right now. And I'm fully aware of that every time we gather, can I tell you, I, I know there are some that ga- they, they just getting here <laughs> and just being in this place is an effort because life has been so strong against you that you're saying, I just need God to touch me today. You see, we try to create an atmosphere of faith in our worship and our teaching and our prayer Because can we be honest, every one of us, there are times in our lives, the greatest thing we need is not another song, another sermon, another shaking of a hand. It is, God, we need you to touch me right now, God, and we need you to move in in our lives. And I encourage you today, guys, the Word of God says that He is here. When we sang, the Word says we enthroned Him in the midst of us with our praises. When we gather, He says, I am there in the midst of you. According to God's word, where he is, then his kingdom authority and power is also.